Dr. Brian Chappell was the president of Covenant Seminary, where actually Pastor David and I both attended. And even though Brian was um, the president at the time I was there, Brian taught a class to the incoming pastoral students, and this class was titled Preparation and Delivery of Sermons. And it was a great honor and an act of humbling service for Brian to actually teach a class of, quote, freshmen. And I got to tell you, it was a great class. It was one of my best classes that I took there. And one of the things that Dr. Chapel said in that class has stuck with me for many years. He began by telling a story of how he often visited other churches. And many times when he visited those churches, the congregation, the people would tell them about their pastor. They might remark that their pastor was such an amazing speaker, almost making him sound like a, another Billy Graham. Then upon hearing the pastor speak, Dr. Chapel frequently discovered that the pastor's speaking abilities were okay, not great, certainly no Billy Graham. The congregation's bragging about the, the pastor was nice, but it didn't quite make sense. And Dr. Chapel said he learned something about such pastors. These pastors were deeply loved by their congregation. And because their congregation loved them, the congregation thought extremely highly of their preaching skills. And then Brian went on and used it as a teaching moment. He told us about loving our congregation. He said to love your congregation was to serve your congregation. He said if you serve your congregation in love, it'll make your preaching a whole lot better. And then he added with a laugh, he said, this of course is no excuse for bad preaching. Now the point Dr. Chapel made I think was excellent. And it doesn't just pass, apply to pastors like David and myself. It applies to all of us. How we live, how we treat others affects how they respond to us. If we come to church on a Sunday morning and we're lifting our hands and we're praising God and we're praying and we're paying close attention to the message, that is all good. But what matters is much, actually... What probably matters even more is how you and I live Monday through Saturday. If we're not nice, or especially if we're a jerk, Monday through Saturday, do you honestly think those who interact with us are going to respond to us positively? Will they listen to what we have to say? Will they be interested in this Jesus Christ that we claim to follow? And the obvious answer is probably not. One of the most powerful ways that we can open the ears and the hearts of people around us is through simple service. We care for them. We love them. We do small things. We do great things. We do difficult things. We do easy things for them, and we do it with a joy-filled attitude. There's another aspect to this type of service. A wise man once told me, he said, never ask anyone to do something that you wouldn't do yourself. I think it bears repeating. Never ask someone to do something that you yourself wouldn't be willing to do. Those words serve us well. If we think we're too good to do a particular task, then how can we expect another person to do it? 
Now, before I go any further, I want to brag on all of you. Bethesda is a serving church. People in this church, you, aren't afraid to get your hands dirty, to, to care for one another. You'll mop floors, you'll take out the trash, you'll bring school supplies, you'll share groceries, you'll volunteer, you'll watch kids, you'll rake leaves, you'll cook, you'll clean up, and you'll pray for people inside this church and outside of this church. And you do it without complaining. You serve with great joy. And that's a blessing. Part of our mission statement is this church says we love others and we impact our community. Loving impact is made through service. Service actually opens the hearts of others to the gospel. We talked earlier about Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. We're going to be filling those, and those shoeboxes actually lead to children and families hearing about Jesus Christ. The simple act of filling up a shoebox can be used by God to save a life for eternity. When we serve others... We're imitating our Savior, Jesus Christ. In John 13, Jesus provided an amazing act of simple service. There's a whole lot in that reading that Pastor David spoke to. We'll cover more of it probably next, or we'll cover more of it next week. But right now, we're going to focus on Jesus' act of simple service. Just a few days earlier, Jesus had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People lined the streets to cheer Jesus' arrival, but we know that trouble was brewing. The forces of evil were coming together to kill Jesus. And of course, Jesus was well aware of what was going on. It was God's plan. And Jesus came to fulfill that plan. In our reading, Jesus was sharing a, a meal with his disciples. That meal is what we call the Last Supper. Jesus knew his earthly time was short. He was headed to the cross. And Jesus saw the need to teach his disciples a very important lesson. It was a lesson of servitude. During supper, John tells us that Jesus got up, took off his outer robe, grabbed a towel, and tied it around his waist. And then Jesus did the unthinkable. He began Washing the feet of his disciples. To those in the room, what he was doing seemed so wrong. It was wrong in terms of the expectations that people held for Jesus and the expectations of the culture at that time. The fact is, is that in the ancient Near East, foot washing was common. You got to remember, these people at best wore sandals. There were no concrete roads, there were no paved sidewalks. People walked the dirty, dusty roads, which meant your feet got dirty, nasty dirty. If a guest came into your house, you would have your servant wash that guest's feet as an act of hospitality. The master of the house, though, would never be the one washing the feet. But here we see Jesus washing feet. Today, maybe you could compare this scene to having the president of your company over for dinner. And after he eats, the big boss gets up, he takes the dishes off the table, and he goes in the kitchen, and he washes them. Then he puts on a load of your laundry, 
He gets some of your shirts and he irons them and he ends the evening by cleaning your bathrooms, toilets and all. We would be blown away, wouldn't we? That'd be crazy. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to save us from our sins. But Jesus also came to teach every one of us a new revolutionary way to live. It's a life of humble service. It's a life of simple service. It's a life that impacts the people who witness it. In John 13, 1 through 20, we can uncover seven acts of simple service. And I've got some props with me this morning to illustrate those acts. They're in this toolbox, and, you know, a toolbox often contains what we need to get a job done. Well, this is a simple service toolbox. The first act of simple service is represented by these sunglasses and this stylish hat. These things remind us that simple service is often performed in secret. They also remind us that these are old sunglasses and they do not, I can't read my notes very well. <laughs> the, the point is, is that we, we don't put on a show. We, do, we serve incognito like a, a celebrity who's hiding behind a hat and sunglasses. That's so much better. <laughs> consider, consider for a moment where Jesus' foot washing happened. Jesus was in a room with just his disciples. He, he could have gone to wash their feet in front of the temple in Jerusalem. A, a big crowd would have witnessed Jesus performing this act of service. Jesus could have maybe held a press conference a few days before announcing his foot washing. He could have put notices up around town ahead of time. Come wash, come watch Jesus wash feet. You won't want to miss it. But Jesus didn't even announce his plan to his disciples. He just stood up, took off his outer garment, grabbed a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and started washing. Jesus startled. He shocked his followers. He set an example. In Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus indicated that we are to perform secret service. He said, be careful not to practice your righteousness, righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Jesus goes on, he says, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Sometimes we struggle with secret service. Let me explain. We enjoy helping others. It, it makes us feel good, but we also enjoy it when other people notice. Our motive is wrong if we are serving so people will think more highly of us. And it's a struggle. We, we want to do good things. And it's nice if people notice. 
Now, people noticing our good deeds can be good if our motive is sincere. The disciple Peter once wrote, he said, we should live honorable lives so that those who speak against us may see our good deeds and glorify God. And that is the key. Simple service glorifies God and not us. Simple service also shows up in the little things. Jesus washed feet. It was a dirty job. But it was a job that anyone could do. It was a small thing that was so powerful. In the book of Acts chapter 9, there's a short story about a woman named Tabitha. She was also called Dorcas. Acts 9.36 said that she was full of good works and charity. And after her death, we're told all the widows stood beside her body, weeping and showing the coats and garments that she had made for them. She gave them coats and garments. She served in the little things. Author Richard Foster, Foster wrote this. He said, large tasks require great service for a moment. Small tasks require constant sacrifice. These small, constant acts of service change lives. I've got some things to demonstrate small acts of service here in my toolbox. First, I got a hammer. We can use our skills to repair things or build things for another person. I've got in here some, some car keys. We could maybe run an errand for someone who's homebound. Got a real easy one here. I got a card. We can send a card to somebody who's maybe lonely, somebody who is, because of the coronavirus, is pretty much being captive to their house for their own safety and protection. A card can make a great difference. It lets them know we're thinking about them. It lets them know we're praying for them. Next couple of things I got in my simple service toolbox are just a little bit strange. I've got, um, I got some duct tape and I got a rope. Now, everybody knows that the duct tape is the universal tool to fix almost anything, right? Well, I agree that's true, but my rope and my duct tape represent a different use today. The duct tape is to tape our mouths shut, and the rope is to tie our hands together, and we're doing that so we allow others to serve us. We can't say a word, our hands are tied. Simple service means letting others serve you. And I know people who knew that tape and duct tape. And maybe you're one of those people. You are amazing at serving other people. You are always there to help. You are drawn like ants to a picnic when it comes to situations that require service. A meal is needed. No sweat, it's going to be a feast fit for a king. A house repair? Give you a hammer and get out of the way. A, a wounded heart? You listen and you say just the right words. But when you need help, you won't let anyone serve you. You help others and you stubbornly refuse to let them help you. 
and you know who you are, and we love you. You're not alone. Peter had a similar problem. In verse 6 of our reading, after Jesus poured the water into the basin, the first person he came to to wash the feet was Peter. John wrote this, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter's problem might have been pride. No teacher of his was going to stoop to such a lowly act. Or maybe, we don't know this, but maybe Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet because Peter didn't want to wash anybody else's feet. But the question comes to us. Are we too proud? Are we too proud to let others serve us? Don't deny others the joy of serving. Simple service requires letting others serve us, but it also means that we serve others through hospitality. Jesus demonstrated this simple service throughout his ministry. In the upper room there, he sat and he talked with his followers. He spent time with them. He ate with them. Jesus gave three years of his life to his disciples. And hospitality is often demonstrated by simply spending time with others. And my tool of hospitality is a fork. A fork. I choose a fork because many times our hospitality centers on coming together to eat. There's a great, a great story or a great picture of hospitality in Jesus' visit with Martha and Mary. It's in chapter 10 of Luke's gospel. Martha had the gift of hospitality, but her use of the gift was a little berserk. She made hospitality way, way too difficult. You see, Martha wanted to be sure that all the preparations were just right. Luke says she was distracted with much serving. She was too busy making everything perfect for Jesus, which caused her to forget to spend time with Jesus. Her sister Mary also had the gift of hospitality. Mary's hospitality was shared in a more simple way. When Jesus showed up at their house, Mary plopped down at Jesus' feet and listened to him. And this ticked off Martha, and Jesus had to set her straight. Mary had chosen the better, being hospitable by spending time with her guest. When we offer that type of hospitality, it provides the opportunity to serve by listening. Jesus, he had to be a great listener. Just in our story today, Jesus listened to Peter's protest over his feet being washed. He heard what Peter had to say. And because Jesus listened, he was able to help Peter understand. A little bit in that moment, but much more later. The truth of the matter is, is that people want to be heard. Sometimes we need to get something off our chest, and all we want is someone to listen to us. And the problem that many of us have, and, and I'm guilty of this, is we want to provide answers. We want to fix things. And there are times when that's very good, but not if it gets in the way of our being able to listen. My 
toolbox item that has to do with listening is this watch. It's to remind us to listen. We have to take time to listen. Well, the, the toolbox is getting pretty empty, believe it or not. But there's still one heavy thing left in it. <coughs> this weight. And the weight reminds us that we are to bear the burdens of others. Simple service requires bearing one another's burdens. Jesus carried our burdens to the cross. I have to confess that I go to the gym a lot, but when I go to the gym, I'm what you might consider a lightweight. The, the front of our gym where Mary and I go to has treadmills and stair climbers and ellipticals and, and weight machines. And that's where I hang out. The, the back of the gym is where the really strong guys and gals go. That's where you find that really heavy free weights. And, and I got to tell you, it's a little scary back there. It's very intimidating. But the truth is, we're all lightweights when it comes to life's burdens. We're not as strong as we think we are. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy, laid, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus will carry your burdens. We can't do it on our own. They're just too heavy. And in the same way, we are to carry one another's burdens. Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, he said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing burdens brings us to the last item in my toolbox. It's this Bible. It reminds us to serve out others out of the love that Jesus has given to us. Simple service must also include sharing the gospel. And we share it with everyone. John, in John 13, 11, it says that Jesus knew the one who was about to betray him. Judas Iscariot. And it sounds crazy, but Jesus washed Judas' feet. Judas was about to sell Jesus' life to the authorities for a little bit of money, and Jesus washed his feet. Rather than wash Judas' feet, we might want to crush those feet. We might have felt like we wanted to stomp those feet into oblivion. That's not what Jesus did. He reminds us to serve people that we don't particularly like, maybe even our enemies. And if we do that, it also means that we share the gospel with those we love, but we also share it with those who we may not like. That night, our foot-washing Savior showed us what he came to do. Jesus came to save us from our sin. If you remember the scene, at first Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Jesus said if he didn't wash his feet that Peter would have no part of him. He would have no part of Jesus. And then Peter, in typical Peter form, said, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus replied, he said, it's not necessary because Peter was already clean. And this is a part of the passage. We read that, we might wonder what's going on. Well, for one thing, Jesus' foot washing provided an image what Jesus was going to do on the cross. He came to make you and I right with God. Our sin, our rebellion makes us dirty. 
We sin against God. We rebel against God. It makes us unholy. And dirty people cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. And we can't remove the dirt of our sins by ourselves. But Jesus can. And in fact, he did. Jesus washed away the dirt from the disciples' feet. On the cross, Jesus washed away the dirt of our sins. And what happened on that cross was a one-time event. It was a one-time washing. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, He's already made you clean. Peter, in our narrative, was already clean. His sins were covered by Jesus' righteousness, by the act that Jesus would perform on the cross. And that's why Jesus didn't need to wash Peter's whole body. But still, like all of us, Peter still struggled with sin. And, and sin got him dirty on a daily basis. Jesus' foot washing symbolized the daily forgiveness provided through the cross. It's a message of the depth of God's love, which we're to share with others. I like having props. You know, props can be fun. But I really don't want the props to take away from the, the seriousness of Jesus' foot washing. When Jesus finished washing the feet, he said, he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We don't earn it. We can't pay it back. Our good deeds don't make us right with God. But in response to the amazing gift of grace that you and I have received, we serve others. It's through our simple acts of service that we show the world who we are. Sinners saved by Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we think about what Jesus did in that upper room when he washed the disciples' feet. We've seen pastors and others in the church do a foot washing as a, a, a special moment, perhaps, during Holy Week. But Father, the reminder that you give us through Jesus' service and his sacrifice is that foot washing isn't a one-time thing. It's not something we do to just to make a statement. Simple service, loving others, showing them your love is a daily thing that we're called to do. And Father, I just pray that you would open our eyes that we would see opportunities to show others the love of Christ. And Father, I pray that as we do that their eyes and ears and hearts would be opened up so that they would respond. They would want to know why. Why are we so kind? And then we can tell them about your son. 
Father, we pray for those we serve. We pray that they will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for those who are already saved that they would go out and serve others. And Father, we pray. We close our prayer saying the words commonly known as the Lord's Prayer, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.